0: Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of this Lord's day, and we your people have gathered on this day as you have commanded us to do, and so also we do with joy. We thank you that we can go to your word, for it is truth, it is eternal, and unlike the shifting sand of the age, uh, your word is always a firm foundation for us, and so we go to it trusting as you have provided for us in it. We ask today that your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom, give us discernment as we seek to look at the practical aspects of this life that you have given us. And we pray that we would not merely be hearers, but so also doers of your word. Guide and direct us in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week we looked at uh, the negative aspect uh, of, uh, let's see, what, <laughs> what did we look at? The consequences. So we had looked at the week before, or the time before, the characteristics of laziness. Last week, we looked at the consequences of laziness. Just real quickly, last week, what we looked at is uh, the consequence of laziness in poverty. Shame, that is shame that that laziness brings upon others in our lives. Forced labor, liability, and... Unfulfilled craving. We, we stopped. We did not get to unfulfilled craving uh, last week. So today I want to pick up there what we're, we're going to look at the remainder of the time, uh, it, which I'm, I'm thankful to get to something positive. It, what are the characteristics of good work? What are the characteristics of of good work? Uh, And so we'll look at that, but let's just go back last week uh, in terms of what are the consequences of uh, laziness. And one of the things that we did not get to was unfulfilled craving. Unfulfilled craving. And let me read the Proverbs to you, or at least the, the first one. Um, or actually, I'll read both of them together and then I think that will help us understand what I mean by this title, Unfulfilled Craving. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And Proverbs 21, 25, and 26, the desire of the, of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. All right, so let's look at the first one together. Four, Proverbs 13, 4. Uh, who are the two that the, the sage is talking about here? This is, a, this is a comparison and contrast proverb, we might say. And so we're told about two proverbial characters. Who are they? yeah the the sluggard the the one who is lazy in their work the work the sluggard and then who else yeah the diligent, yeah, the, diligent. the sluggard and the diligent fascinatingly enough uh, as a poetic device the sage uses in both of these the term soul and and by soul what does this the sage mean does it mean merely their their spiritual being uh, that will be separate from the, the body temporarily after death. Is that what he means? Yeah, the individual. That's right. So it's, it's it's a it's a use of the term soul in a poetic sense of our being, who who we are as human beings, our being. You might even say that he's implying uh, an internal sense, a spiritual sense of our of our being, but. It has very practical application, doesn't it? So it's the soul of the sluggard. It's the, the soul of the diligent. We know from previous study that the soul of the sluggard or the sluggard is the one who is lazy in their work. Who's this diligent person? Yeah, And, and it's not just hard work, is it? When someone is diligent, what, does it, what do we mean by that? Someone who is diligent. That's right. They're, they're constantly, uh, we might say constant in progress or constant in uh, endeavors and things like that. But the key word there uh, for us to keep in mind is a, a form of consistency. It's not someone who's lazy seven days, I mean six days, and then works hard one day. No, it's, it's someone is diligent. They, there is a consistency to what they do. And dependable. That's right. They're dependable. Why? Because they are diligent. diligent. They're consistent in, in the work that they do. Somebody over here? They're yeah, they're reliable. I mean, you, if, if you if you say, hey, Gay, I want you to tell me somebody that, that you consider reliable in your life or give us three people and, and you, you named off uh, uh, three. Of course, we, we know your brother-in-law wouldn't be in that one, right? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but if you name those off, and then if we came and said, do you think they're diligent in your life? It's almost certain that you would say, yes, that's connection between their reliability. Now, look at the proverb. The, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. So let's understand that first. First of all, is there anything wrong with craving in, in, in this sense? Based on the, the word that the sage is using, there's no implication that that's a negative thing. It's not lust. Uh, there, there's a craving. It, if, if I've not gone without food you know, for 30 minutes, I crave, you know, or, or, or crave food, right? So what, what's the proverb saying? Craves, or rather we should ask, why does the sluggard get nothing? Craving's not bad but he gets nothing for what he craves, what's the sage saying? Why is he craving and getting nothing? He has no job satisfaction or dreams okay, no satisfaction in what he does. And so, uh, and so by virtue of that, he's not getting that satisfaction from that work. That that that's well. It's right. Yeah, yeah. For the sake of the recording, if you if you're a farmer and you crave uh, corn on the cob, you you plant corn. But let's carry that a little bit farther. Not it's not just the craving of the corn, but it is. It means that you purchase the corn seed, you plant the corn seed, you water and fertilize the corn seed, you. Take care of the corn seed from pests and, and, and animals and so forth and so on. You harvest the corn seed. You shock the corn, etc., etc., etc. I mean, all of these in between, all of that's part of being diligent in your work, right? It's like the example I gave last week. Just wanting to be productive doesn't make you productive, Right? It's the diligence, it's the follow-through that leads to being able to eat the corn on, on the cob, to stay with your example. And so what the sage is saying here is the sluggard craves, but, but by virtue of his def- definition, one who is lazy in their work, he's not getting the job done. It's quite, that, quite simple. He doesn't get the job done, so he doesn't get the corn. But in contrast... What do we know about the diligent? Well, first of all, we've defined diligent, and so we now understand something about them, and it's their soul is richly supplied. What does that mean? What does richly supplied mean? Okay, satisfied. Uh, Why would they be satisfied? Satisfied. Okay, so let's say that a farmer plants the corn, loves being a farmer, loves every aspect of farming and uh, and, uh, doesn't take care of an infestation of insects and it wipes out the corn. Is he still satisfied in his job? Well, he could be. He could still be satisfied in his job, but he wouldn't be richly supplied. Right? So so what the sage is saying here is more than just satisfaction in something, but what? Richly doesn't mean like you're a rich person. Richly means abundance. That's right. So there is an abundance of what he needs. The supply is he has needs. Those needs are supplied. And how are they supplied? Richly. By virtue of what? is diligence, right? So, again, this simple teaching is, is those who are lazy in their work are not going to be richly supplied in what they need. Those who are diligent in their work are going to be richly supplied in what they need. Again, keep in mind, all the way back to the first week, this is not a promise. This is not some sort of prophetic expression. This is a truism in general. Generally speaking, this is the way God's economy works. Yes? It's like the difference in the little red hen and the other barnyard animals. All right. She, she planted the corn. She took care of it, took it to the mill when it was all done, made flour for her little chickens. Yeah. And I asked all the other barnyard animals, would you help? Me? No, no, none of them would help with anything. Then when she had the bread ready for her little babies, they were all ready. Yeah. Oh. Ah. We, we gotta love fairy tales. Yeah. I I know I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's it's like the first time somebody said, "Have you ever read Grimm's fairy tales?" And so fascinated by it, I purchased a, a copy. And you know, I'm like halfway through. I'm not even halfway through. I'm an eighth the way through, and I'm like. There's a reason I didn't read these to my children. <laughs> they bake children in the oven, and it's okay. Yeah. No, no, but I, I, no, I like it. It's a, it's, a good, it's a good fairy tale. I like it. All right. So let's go to the next two Proverbs, Proverbs 21, 25, and 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him. For his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Okay, so first of all, now we've moved from the soul of the sluggard to now the desire. So that's, But it's the same thing as craving, right? It's the same essential teaching. The, his craving or his desire. And then it says it kills him. What, what does it mean that the sluggard, and incidentally we're, we're told the answer to my question here in this proverb, what, what does it mean that the sluggard's desire kills him? Does it mean literally it kills him? So th- theoretically it could, couldn't it? But but more than likely it's not. it's not, it would be the equivalent of, of me saying a really bad joke and you tell me a bad joke and I'm like, you're killing me. Right? So to, to a certain extent, it's, it's hyper, hyperbole, but not necessarily, and here's why. His hands refuse to labor. So that's a defining point. That's a defining note of what a sluggard is. And fascinatingly enough, the, the sage employs the verb refuse. That, that is a fascinating verb to choose because what it tells us, or let me ask the question, by choosing the verb refuse, what does it tell us about the sluggard? Right? But positively speaking, what are, some, what are some positive characteristics we could deduce from his refusal? he's he's able he could did you say he could if he wanted to yeah yeah he's he's able so we're not talking about somebody that doesn't have the ability to work he's able and we could infer that he's capable there are a lot of positive aspects that we could could deduce couldn't we but he refuses meaning he has made a conscious decision not to to work for, for whatever reason. We don't know. And then it says, all the day long he craves and craves. We're still talking about the sluggard. We've not yet moved to the righteous yet. But all day long he craves and craves, meaning what he desires and probably what he needs. It's not being met. Why is it not being met? because he refuses to labor, defining himself as a sluggard. Now look at the second clause, the last clause rather. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. Now, this is one of the beautiful things about the poetry of the Proverbs. You thought that you were talking about the lazy sloth guy that refuses to work All of a sudden, the sage introduces someone and does not introduce them as diligent, does not introduce them as hardworking, but introduces them as righteous. And then tells us something about this righteous person that seems to not be congruent with what he was just telling us about the sluggard. And yet... In the typical form of this type of proverb, there are differences, but he's also introducing a theme that ties together. You see it? So first of all, he introduces the person as the righteous. Who who is the righteous? And And by asking that question, let me encourage you to think in general Hebraic sense, not necessarily justification by faith in a Protestant sense. Just in terms of, of the Hebrew people, God's covenant people. That's right. Little R instead of a big R. So, so the righteous, what do we know about this person? He does right. Right. That's exactly right. So we would we would just say this is someone that is faithful to God's word. He's faithful to do the things of God. We're not we're not talking about his. Uh, his eternal spiritual sense, but rather the sage is just saying, this is somebody that lives the right way. He he, he obeys the law. He works hard. He tries to do the right thing with his neighbors, and, and, and he tries to live a right life, which would probably describe all of us, if not more, within, within this room. We really want to live in a right way. A righteous one then does what? He gives. He gives. Now, hold that thought... What does it? What do we know about his giving? To to not hold back means what? He gives freely, abundantly. Yeah, he's a generous giver, right? He gives abundantly. We don't know anything about his financial makeup, so we don't we don't know if this is the might or the million. But what do we do know about this person in contrast to the sluggard? This person who seeks to do rightly gives abundantly. How does that contrast with the sluggard? He has to he has something to give. The righteous does have something to give, true. But what else? What about, what about the heart attitude? He's the, the happy giver. What am I trying to say? The... Cheerful, giver? Cheerful giver? Look at, at, at these two words for me. What do we know about the sluggard? So It's not really talking about the sluggard's giving, isn't it? It's really just talking about him working to provide for his needs. But what we find is is the correlation in the wisdom of the Proverbs, the correlation is, is that when you are willing to work, and in fact, to go back to the previous proverb, when you are diligent in your work, not only... And this is, by the way, a proverb that we've looked at previously. Not only are you able to meet your needs, but what? You can help others. Can help others. That's right. The one who seeks to do rightly, who live in a righteous way, he is—he gives, he does not hold back, which in contrast to the sluggard, that person who refuses to work, he can't even give because he has nothing to give because he refuses to work. yes. Well, in the case of application of the Proverbs, in, 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 in this sense, it is the context would lead us to believe it's financial. But keep in mind that, that you could apply the Proverbs to other areas of life as well. Yeah, including service and, and so forth. Yeah, but contextually, it's financial. Yeah. Okay, so that concludes last week. Now let's look at something I'm really excited to, to, to get into is the characteristics of good work. Now, if you walk through the Proverbs, what you're going to find is this. is The Proverbs tells us far more about the negative than the positive. And part of this, if if we believe with the scholars that the Proverbs were originally written for young men of the kingdom in training, in training for life, so forth and so on, you can see why that would be the case, right? They're going to be as young men growing up. They look out in the world around them and they see someone who is industrious. They see someone who is lazy and the sage comes along and says, now you've seen these two people in life, now let me tell you, about why they are the way that they are, so to speak. And so what we've looked up until this point really takes up the bulk of the Proverbs on this topic. But there is still plenty to be said about the the positive sense of good work. And I want to begin with this. One of the characteristics of good work is industriousness industriousness again these labels are mine so uh, extend some grace on this but here's why I use that word look at proverbs 31:27 she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness now who is she the wise, the woman. yeah the proverbial woman of proverbs 31 Uh, Again, there's debate on whether this is talking about a a, a true woman or directing us to look at a true woman or if it's just wisdom in general. Most scholars agree it's simply wisdom in general. But either way, the point is, is that she or wisdom looks well to the ways of her household. What does that mean? What does looking well to the ways of one's household mean? Okay, so she makes sure that her, her family is well taken care of. Yep. Um, so Randy scratches his head, and I thought he had a, a bright moment. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Yeah. Yeah, things that are under, under your control. Fascinating enough, that shows up in our, large, our Westminster Larger Catechism. Uh, that which is under uh, the, the guise of uh, uh, providing for one's own extends beyond just within, within the household. And so those within, uh, those within your, uh, your area of, of authority or whatever the, the case may be, I think that's, that's a good point. Yeah. What else? She looks well. So what does it mean to look well? So the implication is, yeah, and she she knows them. She knows their needs. So she's so well acquainted with with her household that she knows their needs, right? This is not someone that is absent. It's someone who knows and someone who knows how to meet those needs. It means to, to look well also implies a certain specificity, knows the precision of what is needed in that moment. Well, that's wisdom, isn't it? I mean, if, if we try to apply the same thing to everything in life, and we we all, or I say we all, most of us would understand this from a parenting sense, right? So one, one child requires a certain form of discipline, while another child, another form of discipline. And so we know our children, we know how this works, and she knows well. The, the, uh, the state, the sense of, of her household, the ways, rather, of her household, and then does not eat the bread of idleness. So that, that's just a beautiful poetic expression, right? So, so what's the bread here? It's not bread, right? So using bread in the metaphorical sense, she does not eat the bread of idleness. What does that mean? Okay? She doesn't just sit around and do nothing or wish things would get better or or whatever the case is, right? What what is idleness? Okay, non-productivity. Okay, that's good. That's good. Something that, that is idle is doing what? Not moving, right? And so she's active, she's industriousness, thus the title that I, I gave to this. So let's put this together. She looks, and I might also add, fascinatingly enough, the, the, the term eat the bread is a Hebraic expression, probably a Semitic expression uh, that is used consistently throughout the Old Testament scriptures, and, and that. We would refer to that as an idiom. That, that idiom means an engagement with something. So we think about the psalmist who says that, that uh, uh, you sh- you sh- uh, uh, it is in vain that you rise early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil. The psalmist says, eating the bread in that sense is a Hebraic or Semitic idiom that means that you engage with it. And so she's not engaging, right? She's not engaging in idleness, but rather the implication is is that she's industrious. Number two, Prioritizing. Prioritizing. Is everything in your life, does everything in your life on a daily basis have the same priority? No. Now, do some of us allow ourselves to put the urgent in front of the important? Sure, we do this, this all the time, right? Often to our, our regret. Uh, and, and so, here's what the proverb says. Prepare your work outside... Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. So the, the idea is, and if you want to think about this in terms of, of the biblical literature, think about the Israelites moving into the promised land. And they're moving into this new land. And, and what are some of the things that they're going to need to do? Well, in some cases, they did inherit... Uh, uh, fields and and in, actually we know that they inherited vineyards for their wine and so forth. But but oftentimes if they come to virgin land, what's one of the first things that they're going to need to do? Yeah, till the land, prepare it for whatever their their agricultural needs are. Right. So metaphorically speaking, what does it mean? Prepare your work outside. Me, and incidentally. Outside means outside of the house that's not yet built, okay? In case you didn't pick up on that, right? So prepare your work outside. What does that mean? Okay. Larry says there's an order of things the way that it is to need to be. Who determines that order? So you said you do. So if I want to build my house in harvest, I mean, in, in planting season, um, is that a problem? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. So prepare your work outside means what? All of that first. Yeah, so, so here's the way, and this is sort of the, the age in which we live. Everything oftentimes gets uh, put to us like water out of a, out of a fire hydrant right? Just this massive stream of, of, of stuff. We see this in the age in which we live in terms of information. Now, what does the wise and diligent person do? I'll stay with this metaphor of information because I know this is the, the, the daily life of many of us. I've got this fire hydrant of information coming at me. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's false. I don't know if it's a value. I don't know if it's trash. So I've got this coming and what, what, what is it that I need to do with this water hydrant water of information coming to me. If your head is in social media, pull it out. <laughs> well, yeah, help me here with just to stay with the metaphor. Huh? Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna prioritize it, aren't you? You you're gonna have the wisdom to say, um, I'm pretty sure that's false, right? I'm 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 thinking that may be true, but I need to do some more research and study and reading. I'm thinking this needs to become my priority. I'm thinking this needs to be the last thing I do after 12,000 years, right? And so you, you build this priority structure in your understanding of information. Well, we understand this in the practical world as well, don't we? We, we know that there are prior, there's a priority based on the economy in which God has created, His creation, that, for example, we'll go back now to the agrarian example, we know that there is a certain time of year where you plant. We know that there's a certain time of year when you harvest. And so if you know that, if you're an Israelite and you have moved into the land and you have moved at the time of planting, what's the first thing you need to do? not build your house right so the second part of this proverb says get get everything ready for yourself in the field and after that build your house why would you not build your house first i mean we 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 need shelter isn't that one of the the key needs that we have huh you already have a tent okay you got a tent uh, yeah, so, so the house implies this form of permanency, doesn't it? So that's going to be your, your, your permanent home. So the, the, the idea, the assumption is, is you have some place to stay prior to that. Not the best. Not your home. Right? <laughs> yeah, if you couldn't hear Sam, Sam said, uh, you're going to want to write this down. Sam said that if you're going to build a house, don't order the shingles first. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, and even before the house, get what you need done. What would be some, now we'll, we'll rescue this from the agrarian uh, metaphor and bring it into current life. What are some areas, some distinctions in our daily lives where we make priorities sustenance comes first yeah I, I like to eat yeah you, you and me both right so I need to be thinking about how I can provide for myself for my, my food right what else okay I'll give you another example because I love this one If I asked you how important it is for your heart, your mind, for your soul, how important it is for you to be in the Word of God, all of you being good Presbyterians would all say, it's very important, John. We get that. And yet, if I ask you, are there things in your life that pile up to where you get to the end of the day... And that which you consider to be a top priority gets punted until tomorrow. I know none of you have experienced this, right? So just a theoretical example for all those heathens that don't come to Sunday school. Those people, right? Those people, right? No. We know this to be an example. So what do I do to make sure that the priorities in my life are put First, or I already answered my question, didn't I? How, how do I make sure that I keep the priorities in my life? Put them first. Plant the field. Take care of your or needs first. Uh, it's it's why I've, I've ad, advocated. Now we're coming up on our 10 year anniversary in October, so we're nine years, folks. Nine years I have advocating uh, being in the Word of God first thing in the morning. Uh, because when I was in business, everything in the world happened. Until I fell into bed exhausted at night thinking, well, there's always tomorrow. Yeah. It sounded more poetic when I just say manana, right? So, uh, so we build into our lives that which is important. We prioritize them. We put them first place. And again, uh, everybody would have an example uh, of this. I hope you would. You just don't want to share it with me today. All right, number three diligence. Now we've already talked about this, haven't we? We even defined it. But I want to go back to Proverbs 31 because there is, in essence, a paragraph that we're told about this woman wisdom about uh, her diligence. So let's read this together. I think that I've got the entire thing printed out on your sheet. Do I have that printed out? Proverbs 31, 13 through 24, the whole thing? Okay, good. All right, so I'm going to read it. Let's look at this together. She, meaning this woman of wisdom, seeks wool and flax. There you go, Randy, and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant, she brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor So, again, I'm not taking this time to, to argue whether this is a real woman or not. Um, yeah, after reading it, I'm quite confident it is not a human being. Um, so, But, but in, in, in staying with, with scholars on this, uh, we'll, just, we'll just agree that this is wisdom. Meaning that is applies to all of us, right? So, so this is something that applies to, to all of us, to all of our lives. Uh, and what are some of the things that we learn? And, and what I want to encourage you to do, you have this paragraph in front of you. I want you to just look at it. And I want you to tell me some things that just jump off the page that you find intriguing in terms of wisdom in your life and in my life. What are some of the things that just jump out at you? She's not afraid. Not afraid. No, she is not. Yeah. And incidentally on that topic, why is she not afraid? Because it actually tells us. Because she's doing work. That's right. She she prepares. She's she's one who takes care of business, prepares, right? Is she she's not stockpiling food and arms and climbing into the cave. To seal it shut, is she? In fact, quite the contrary, she is engaging in international commerce. True story, she is. She is like the ships of the merchant, she brings her food from afar. The implication is what? She's importing, right? At the time that this this proverb was written, uh, the nation of Israel was importing spices, And so it very well could be, the scholars tell us, that that this is the inference. uh, That she's, uh, as a Southerner, I I might say, she ain't serving nothing bland at home, right? She's spicing it up with imported spices. Now, that may be taking a bit too far, but there's an argument for it. So she's engaged in international commerce. She's not afraid because she knows how to prepare. What else are some of the things that jump out? The what? The verbs. verbs. Yeah. Yeah. She brings, she rises. Ooh, that's good, Janice. She considers. One of my favorite is a former real estate professional, right? She's doing what regarding real estate? She's doing the due diligence we would say, in real, real estate parlance. She's doing the due diligence, meaning she considers it. She knows what the land is, what the land's worth, and what does she do. She buys it. Fascinatingly enough, she has the cash to buy it. Hmm. What else? Yeah, her lamp doesn't go out at night, which is a, which is a euphemism meaning what? Yeah. Yeah, she, she's got the light on in case she needs to get up and take care of anything, right? Yeah, yeah. So keep the lamp on low in case you need to get up in the night. That's good. What else? The weather doesn't her. Yeah, the weather doesn't bother her, does it? The snow's coming, and what does she say? <laughs> yeah. Look, I've got all of these new clothes for you. I made them last night while my lamp was burning, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the snow doesn't keep her from getting her getting her work done, right? Do they even say that about the Postal Service anymore? I remember when I was a kid. Neither sleet, nor snow, nor... Oh, was that the Pony Express? But didn't they used to say that about the Postal Service? Yeah, the mail, Yeah. Okay, in my imagination, it was the United States Postal Service. I'm going to remember it that. Way. Okay, all right, what, what else? What else jumps out? Yeah? Help me with not thinking that her husband is the slug. Isn't that great? Yeah, while, while, while she is Superwoman, he's sitting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, You and I and the other men in here, we're, we're like, oh, that seems odd. Every woman in here is like, yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Sit, and, and staying away from her real estate negotiations or her international commerce. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, so the general idea is, and I, I know you know this, so the, the general idea is to sit in the gate as a seat of honor, authority, probably governance. Uh, this is someone that, that probably uh, has a hand in the governance of this village, so to speak. Again, th- this is hypothetical, and especially if we're referring to wisdom here. But the inference, the reason why he even shows up, and this should not be lost on any of us, the reason he shows up has nothing to do with Him. Isn't that interesting? He has a seat of honor, but He is included within this proverb of wisdom to to connect us with her. In other words, He is honored because of her. And if we might rescue this from sexism and add it into all of us, the wisdom of those around us The wisdom of my spouse and your spouse, so to speak, we are blessed through that, aren't we? And so we see that that other person, that would go back to sort of a contrast with what we looked at last week, how the lazy and the sluggard bring shame upon his parents. Well, in this case, the industrious, the the diligent, the one who uh, in this, yeah, diligent, also brings honor, upon their loved ones. So that'd be, that'd, be a, that'd be a fun comparison and contrast, wouldn't it? What, what else do we know about her? I'm sorry. Go, no, go ahead, Marion. You are far more serious than other people. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. She's taking care of herself. She's taking care of her husband. She's taking care of her children. She's taking care of her workers. And because of her diligence, she can also help the poor. See a recurring theme here in the Proverbs, don't we? Right? You were saying something about lifting weights? Yeah. Yeah. All right. She dresses herself with strength. All right. I like it. That's right. What what does it mean to dress oneself with strength? Think about I mean I know you were getting around, but but seriously, think about that. What does it mean to dress someone with strength? Let me ask you to think about it this way. Is this someone who is moping around about their disadvantages or complaining about her circumstances? It's not. In fact, we're not told anything about what she's thinking. What we're told is is just to look. Just to look upon her and see what what we see. And what we see is someone who is really remarkably impressive, as is all those who seek to practice godly wisdom in their life. And so in each of these, these, we could apply these to ourselves. Well it has been fun, uh, and I'm thankful that we got to look at this together. It's a fun little paragraph within Proverbs 31. I hope that we'll, we'll get to look at more of it. Um, next week, we'll finish this lesson up and looking at what are the benefits of work uh, and then probably pull in some things to highlight from what we've looked at in previous weeks and then move on to a new topic. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, we do indeed thank you for your word. And as we have looked at your word today and and looked at the godly example and and taught the distinction between, for example, the diligent and the sluggard and the the righteous, and as we look at the blessing of wisdom upon our lives, we ask that we too would be a people of wisdom. May we not listen to the world's trope on this topic, but let us look to your word and let us see within your word the benefit, the blessing of industriousness, of diligence, of hard work, not for our own glory, but for your glory, not for our meeting our own needs, but so also for meeting the needs of our neighbor. Now we ask that you would bless us and prepare us for our worship as we assemble together